Over the past two months, teachers in five states have walked off the job and into the streets to protest stagnant pay and inadequate school funding. The unprecedented wave of walkouts started in West Virginia, but spread quickly to Oklahoma, Kentucky, Arizona, and Colorado. All states where teachers take home pay has in fact stagnated or declined in recent years. Often lost in the discussion is perhaps the most important contributor to that trend, the rising costs of maintaining teacher retirement systems. I'm Marty West, editor of Education Next, and I'm joined today by Chad Alderman, a principal at Bellwether Education Partners and former policy advisor at the U.S. Department of Education. He's also a regular contributor to EdNext, both in print and online, and the author of a recent blog post on the cost of teacher retirement systems that will be the focus of, or at least the point of departure for, our conversation today. Chad, welcome back to the EdNext podcast. Thanks for having me, and I'm happy to be here. So you've been following teacher pensions for some time and even run a website, teacherpensions.org, devoted to providing information and analysis on the topic. Why is it so important? How did you get so involved in covering it? Yeah, so uh, we started work on pensions uh, a while ago. Andy Rotherham and I have been working on pensions for a while. We started to do a website, the teacherpensions.org, devoted to this issue because we felt like there was a lot of good content out there that wasn't synthesized in one place, and it felt like there could be a landing page. Um, we approach it mainly from a human capital perspective, and the plans tend to be very backloaded. Teachers have to stay a long time to get a decent benefit out of them, and I think it's sort of lost on uh, the average person, a, a consumer of news, about how the plans actually work, and, and the news doesn't do a good job of adequately conveying what they how they actually work for individual teachers. And your recent blog post notes that after adjusting for inflation, average teacher salaries haven't increased since the early 1990s, but you point out that this doesn't mean school districts haven't been spending more in total on teacher compensation over that same period, and one of the reasons is the rising costs of these teacher pension systems that very few people understand. So can you walk us through those numbers to get us oriented to the issue? Yeah, we like to think of it as, so we use what's called the, the Census Bureau's employer cost of employee compensation. And that, like even the name is helpful to think about because the employer cost is different than what the employee receives. So the employee gets a salary, and that's usually what most people pay the most attention to. But the employer is paying all these other things to employ the worker. And uh, what the Census Bureau data shows is that, one, uh, the teacher salaries have not kept up with inflation. Total teacher compensation has, and employers are putting more money into teacher compensation on average for the average teacher. And um, total retirement is a big factor of that. So retirement and, and insurance health care costs have both gone up dramatically over the last 20 years um, for all workers and teachers in particular. But for teachers, especially retirement costs have gone up dramatically and teachers have higher retirement costs than all other workers that the Census Bureau disaggregates to, including even other state and local government workers. Um, and that's in terms of both uh, percentage terms of compensation and in dollar amounts. So if you think about uh, the amount that teacher is getting per hour worked, they're getting more retirement than other people are. 
um, and just sort of the distribution of their compensation is more skewed towards those in-kind benefits like retirement and, and health care. So in the uh, blog post, you show specifically that uh, base salaries have increased on average from 2007 to 2017, so focusing just on the past decade by 1.4% a year, so a bit below the inflation rate, which means that what teachers are getting on a take-home basis each month uh, is not increasing as fast as their cost of living in most places, but you show that health insurance costs are going up 4% a year in retirement by 7.8% a year. So it's a pretty big difference. Yeah, and actually, like, some of the, the strikes have actually been over these other things. Like, West Virginia, the strike, the, the teachers who were striking there mostly talked about health insurance, and they were the state was asking them to pay a higher share of premiums, and that was what was they were most upset about. Um, West Virginia also has very high pension debt load uh, uh, that that teachers probably don't see the state is paying the bulk of that, but it is an educational cost. It is the cost of employing a worker that uh, again the actual the average teacher wouldn't see that. It's not on their pay stub, and even in West Virginia where the state pays the pension costs, the the district doesn't even see that. It's just money that never even gets the district that that could be used on teachers for salary or other things. But of course, it does put downward pressure on state spending on public education. And when a state like West Virginia asks teachers to pick up a greater share of health insurance costs, that is another reason that holds their paycheck down, right? Yep. And the other thing that we talk about in our work is that um, workers don't value a dollar in benefits as much as they do a dollar in salary. They just don't see it. There's often formulas that people have to qualify for or different uh, rules to, to qualify for. Even insurance, I mean, there's there's different people. People use insurance differently, and some people get much more out of it than others. It's sort of a protection, but it's it's harming. It eats into everybody's competition when insurance costs rise. Yeah, so if we're thinking about how best to take the funding that we have in the system and use it to attract and retain top talent, it's unlikely that putting more in these uh, benefit systems is the most efficient way to use those resources. Yeah, absolutely. And there's um, teachers, I think workers in general and teachers uh, are workers, and I think that they um, apply here as well, that people just respond more to things they can understand. They know what a dollar means in salary. And those are the, like a dollar in salary is what they take home to pay for childcare or their mortgage or whatever else they want to spend their money on. And so if we're spending the same amount but uh, less of it is going to salary, then teachers feel that um, intensely there. Yeah, and it could be that teachers are, like many of us, uh, somewhat short-sighted. And even if they would benefit more from a generous, well-funded retirement, they might prefer the funding today. And if that's the case, then paying them a generous retirement benefit isn't going to be the best way to uh, attract talent. Um, I think it's worth noting that the dollar amounts involved here are not at all trivial as a share of total spending on public education. You talk in this post about percentage increases over time, but uh, Mike Podgurski in a recent article in Education Next showed that uh, retirement spending alone just since 2010 has gone from about $800 per pupil each year to about $1,200 per pupil each year. 
So that's what's being taken off the top of school budgets before we talk about uh, anything that is going directly to current spending today. So it's a big factor. Yeah, and the other thing that's a big factor here, so if um, my employer, Bellwether, has a uh, 401k-style defined contribution plan, so if Bellwether increases its retirement contribution, it goes into my account. It goes into workers' accounts. That's not the way it works for public sector workers that are in pension plans like teachers. And so, um, in fact, most of the increase is being due to pay down unfunded liabilities. It's debt. It's debt costs. And today, according to data from NCTQ, about two-thirds of every dollar that's being spent on retirement is going into debt, not for actual benefits. And so it's being paid into the system to prop it up, to, to make good on payments that should have been there in the past, as opposed to providing benefits um, for, for actual workers. Yeah, that actually preempts or answers what was going to be my next question, which was why retirement costs are going up so much, and whether it's just that we're offering more generous benefits to new teachers. But I take it from that answer that that's not the case, that uh, if anything, we're making benefits to new teachers less generous, but costs are still going up because uh, of unfunded liabilities that reflect commitments that were made in the past. How, how can it be that the unfunded liabilities are so high? Why, why do they exist at all if state regulators are supposed to ensure that districts have been adequately funding these systems? Yeah, there's a lot underneath that. I mean, one is so every state says they have a balanced budget, uh, uh, that they're required to balance their budget in the annual year. And, and if they want to take out debt, like normal debt, they have to go to voters and get a bond approved, or there's some formula, some process they have to follow. Pensions are different, and they act a lot like a bond or like a long-term debt, um, but in, in the sense that they have to be paid either for legal reasons or oftentimes for political, let alone moral reasons, Um and, but no one approves them. So what happens is that a, a legislature um, sets the rules for the pension plan, and they are supposed to establish rules to pay for those benefits. But uh, lots of states have not paid as much as they should. Their actuaries tell them they need to be putting in more, um, and they don't do that. Or they make assumptions about how fast their money will grow for their in their investments, and those haven't met expectations. Um, and so all of those factors combine to create these debts that then, then do trickle down to teachers. Uh, a lot of times people talk about defined benefit pension plans as if they take care of workers and workers don't have any responsibility. It's all the employers bearing the risk. But the, the risk does come down, and it comes down in the form of higher um, retirement costs that workers may not see, but they are real. They are things that either the state or the district is paying uh, on the behalf of the pension plan system. So these plans are expensive, and in some cases that expense is not always recognized immediately because of assumptions that are made in the budgeting process, and so they can become even more expensive over time. Um, but, you know, some might say it's worth the expense because it does ensure that teachers get a fair deal. We know that teachers don't earn very much relative to other uh, jobs requiring a college degree. Most of them even have education credentials beyond that. Um, and so 
you know, maybe it's worth offering this kind of uh, benefit, but you sort of pushed back against that line of thinking in a prior article that you wrote for Ednext, published online in May 2017. You and Kelly Robson actually argued that, quote, most teachers get a bad deal on pensions. How can that be the case if we're spending so much? Yeah, so the way I like to think of it is that pensions are expensive, but they're not particularly generous. And that's sort of a conundrum that, that requires unpacking, and there's two things that are going on. One is that, uh, so there's all these debt costs, and, and that's part of why they're so expensive. Um, if you think about how much the employer cost is for benefits, so in the private sector, if someone gets a uh, 5% match on their 401k, that's about average, maybe a little bit on the high side in the private sector. That's about what teachers are getting in terms of benefits. So for every dollar they make in salary, they're getting roughly the equivalent of $0.05 cents in retirement benefits. The problem is that, um, again, if, if in bellwether that money goes into my account, everybody gets the same percentage. That's not the way it works for the pension plans for teachers. They're distributed according to formulas, and there's been lots of work um, in Ednex and other places showing how those distributions work. They're very backloaded, and they um, uh, spike towards the end. And so if you think about you start if a teacher starts out at age 25, they don't accrue very much in the way of retirement benefits all through their 20s, 30s, and even their 40s, and really until they're, they're in their 50s does the retirement benefit really start to spike up. But that requires people to stick around. And so there's just this, there are some people who do pretty well under that environment, and those are the type of people that get portrayed in the media as 30-year veterans who have a pretty good pension that's pretty comfortable for a, a safe and secure retirement. But there's lots of people who don't make it that far and don't get very much out of the system. So these systems are expensive. They, because people don't seem to place as much value on these non-transparent, distant benefits, they don't seem to be a very efficient way of attracting talent into the teaching profession. And you're suggesting that they're in some sense not particularly fair because a lot of teachers who spend a substantial time in the profession don't benefit much or uh, even at all. So what's the solution? Where should we be headed uh, as we try to address this topic while we still do have these obligations hanging over districts because of prior commitments? Yeah, there's no, there's no easy solution on the prior commitments. Those are things that have to be paid. Um, the only way to reduce them would be things like changing benefits for either existing retirees or for current workers, and a lot of states have been reluctant to do that for lots of good reasons, again, legal, political, moral reasons, not to change benefit structures. Um, some states have tried buyouts, so they could say uh, teachers don't value the pension promise as much um, as it's actually worth, but they might prefer cash. And so if you could give them cash that they value more than the benefits, you could potentially reduce the long-term obligation for the state. Um, another thing is, so I think of Kentucky, there's a lot of political rancor that went on there, but the new plan is actually pretty good for teachers. It's, it's called a cash balance plan. It provides a guaranteed rate of return linked to the, the plan's long-term rate of return, and, so, um, and there's no downside to it as well. So even if the plan had a very, very bad stretch of years of investments, 
the teachers wouldn't see any loss. Um, so there's some protections there. And I found that it would be better for teachers in their first 21 years of employment in the state um, and also provide a fairly stable accrual that wouldn't be some of the spikes uh, that jump around under the current defined benefit pension plans. So could it be the case that the recent activity uh, among teachers in five states, perhaps more by the time this podcast airs, you know, could it provide an opportunity for injecting some of these ideas into the conversation? You're suggesting that in Kentucky, to some extent, it did. Yeah, I mean, so I hope so, and I hope it's part of the conversation. We'll see. The politics are not great, and um, sometimes the political leadership has not helped. In, in Kentucky, the at one point, the governor was planning to cut cost of living adjustments for current retirees and amend benefits for current workers, and that caused a lot of consternation, and then it caused a lot of confusion when the final bill was signed, which only really applied to to new workers. And um, so the media coverage picked it up and said, well, there's a, there's a cut in benefits. And it wasn't a cut. It was a change in benefits for future workers hired after the year 2019, so people who aren't even in the workforce yet. Um, so to your question, I hope so, although I'm not um, we'll see how the politics plays out. Uh, like in Colorado, they're trying to make changes right now to the pension plan, including offering teachers a defined contribution plan that is offered to other state employees. That's a really good, well-run defined contribution plan. Um, and I, I ran some numbers, and it would be better for the vast, vast majority of Colorado teachers. But the protesting teachers don't want that option. The state union is opposing any efforts like that to, to change the structure of the benefits. Well, it sounds like it's uh, not clear which way things will move in uh, the short term, but one thing is clear from this conversation and from the work you've been doing, which is that uh, over the long term, something needs to happen, that the current situation is not sustainable, if only because of what it means for teachers' take-home pay and their ability to, uh, I guess, have a, a good livelihood as they uh, they do their work. And so at some point, something needs to give. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, so uh, short-term politics are not good. I think you're right about the long-term, that things will change. And uh, like it's part of my work is my goal is to help both um, hasten that change as well as make sure it goes in a good direction and um, make sure that States aren't adopting, you know, they're learning the lessons from some of the private sector plans that aren't very good. But most of the public sector defined contribution plans that have been adopted are pretty good. The Kentucky cash balance plan is another option. There are other ways to structure benefits um, that can accomplish lots of purposes in terms of getting more financial stability for states as well as getting all teachers um, on a path to secure retirement. Well, hopefully there'll be a lot of activity in this space. You can write about it for us, and we can have you back to discuss it uh, in a couple of years. I'd be happy to. That sounds great. Chad Alderman is a principal at Bellwether Education Partners. You can find a sampling of his work on teacher pensions, including the blog post that we started the conversation today with, online at educationnext.org. Chad, thanks for being part of the podcast. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the EdNext Podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or another platform so that you don't miss an episode. And while you're at it, be sure to check out our archives. 
where you can find each of the more than 100 episodes we've recorded since 2015. Talk to you next week.